Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because, of, because all sinned. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which come from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift come to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Good morning. Today we begin a new series. It will be a uh, short series, 10 weeks. We will cover... Originally, the plan was, my plan was, to cover ten of the most important words in Scripture. Then I noticed a pattern that all my ten words had a reference in the book of Romans. So now we've made it into an introduction to the book of Romans. Because after the ten weeks, we're going to begin a study in the book of Romans. So... Since we're going to be in Romans for quite a while, a 10-week introduction really isn't that bad. So, I feel good about it. Now, today we start with a word which, if I could guess, that out of the 10 words, this is the one I get the most questions of. I remember being a youth pastor long, long, long time ago. And I got questions all the time from the kids. And then I got a senior pastor position, and I thought, oh, this will be good. Now I can get out of talking and answering questions to kids. And I went to the church, and I started teaching the adults, and I started getting the same questions the high schoolers gave me. And many of those questions deal with sin. So I think one of the books that has most of the answers on sin will be the book of Romans. So we will have a good start into the study of sin, which will come up many times. 
and we'll get a good understanding of sin as we go through the book of Romans. Now, for the questions you have about sin, I promise you I will not answer them all in the sermon. But I hope to give you uh, enough information so that you can understand how sin works in your life. And almost more importantly, how sin works in the life of the non-believers that you're going to invite to Resurrection Sunday. Now, there's a, a writer, he wrote a line that was pretty good, and I wish I had written it. But he said, there are no little sins. There are no little sins. Because there is no little God to sin against. Bigger the person is, the bigger the sin. And when we sin against God, we're sinning against the biggest, holiest person ever. Therefore, your sin against Him is the biggest, baddest, ugliest possible you could do. There was a uh, woman, an older, excuse me, more mature woman in a church. Uh, she was 75 years old, and uh, she had a homosexual lifestyle. And she had another woman that she was living with for the last 50 years. And she was uh, listening, went to church, found out there was a guest speaker, and was listening to the guest speaker preach. Now, by the way, if you ever get called to preach at a church and you're guest speaking, one good issue to preach upon is the gospel message. And that's what the preacher did. He preached on the gospel. And this homosexual lady, after hearing the sermon, after going to the church 75 years, <laughs> all her life, she went up to the guest pastor. Now, you can imagine the number of things that she could possibly say, but this is what she said. I've heard the gospel message, and I understand that I may lose everything. Why didn't anyone tell me this before today? She had been going to church all her life. She had been in a sinful relationship all her adult life, it seemed like since she was 25, and she didn't know what sin was. It is one of the things that really gets confused in churches. And I would say more so today. It seems like sin has come into the church and is an acceptable virtue in the church. So, I want to give you four things, real quick, that will cover the whole spectrum of sin. You ready? Oh, come on. Four categories that will cover everything about sin. Here we go. Uh, we talked in Sunday school about how sin had a double cover on you. Well, I didn't, I didn't correct the issue then, but I'm going to correct the issue now. There aren't two covers of sin. 
There's not one cover. There's not three covers. There are four covers of sin. Ready? You ready? Anybody awake? Will I speak louder to help you? Turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You're going to have to be quick this morning. Romans 3, verse 23. Hurry up. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned. Think about that for a moment. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is talking about personal sin. This is talking about an act of disobedience that misses God's expected mark or will. This is a lack of conformity to the holiness of God. The penalty of a personal sin, which I would define as a person in a state of being that is contrary to the nature of God. Personal sin is a person in the state of being that is contrary to the nature of God. This is personal sin. This is when you do something that is sinful. It's a sinful act. It's a sinful action. It's a disobedient action. This is a transgression against God. The penalty of this sin is a loss of fellowship with God. You lose fellowship with God. By the way, one personal sin makes you lose your fellowship with God. The remedy to personal sin is justification. You have to be justified. You have to be forgiven. The way you get personal sin is a person sins. Here you go. A person sins because he's a sinner. A person sins because he is a sinner. All sinners sin. All sinners commit acts of disobedience. Now, some people claim that they don't sin. That's fine. We got three other covers for them. But eventually you go back to that first point and you will say you do sin. Hmm. Because everybody does. Because sinners sin. Personal sin is those actions you do against the will of God. Everybody with me? Here you go, second cover. Inherent sin. What is inherent sin? Now, we don't use that word too often, inherent, but what it means is the sin nature that you have. The sin nature you have. Inherit means a permanent, essential attribute. You have a nature. That nature is sinful. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, which we've read during Scripture reading, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all have sinned. The definition, the inherent sin is a corrupt and sinful nature that you received from Adam. 
An inherent sin is a corrupt and sinful nature. Next slide. That you inherited from Adam. A corrupt, sinful nature. You have that nature because you're, com- you're connected to, you're related to Adam and Eve. A natural sin, a sin nature is something that every person is born with. You're born with a sin nature. The penalty that comes with having an inherent sin or a sin nature is spiritual death. Spiritual death, separation from God. The remedy is the sacrifice of of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. And with that death comes the gift of the Holy Spirit. Transmission, how you receive this sin nature, you receive the sin nature from your earthly father. From your father. And it's transmitted backwards. You can go all the way back in your history to Adam. You have Adam as your father, and you have received this sin nature. Now, if you think you do not sin, that's good, fine, but you have a sin nature. And that sin nature, just by you having that sin nature, being connected to Adam, is enough to send you away to the lake of fire. Let alone committing a sin, which would also commit you to the lake of fire. But there's a third cover. You ready? Third cover. Can you handle the third one? Here we go. Third. Imputed sin. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, which is where you're at. Notice, I want you to notice the middle of the verse, and death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sin. Verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. In other words, when the law came, you received a second imputation. Not only did you have your sin nature, why? Because you died, proof that you have a sin nature, before the law came. Once the law came, you were given other instructions of what sin was, therefore you then broke those laws and sinned more. And when you broke the law, sin was imputed to you. You were given another layer of sinfulness. Not only do you do sinful things, not only do you have a sin nature, but you have now a law that you're supposed to keep perfectly. Guess what? You don't. Guess what? I don't. So therefore we sin. And we are imputed the guilt that comes from breaking that law. Put it this way, imputed sin. Imputed sin is the guilt of all people that we receive because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. Imputed sin is the guilt of all people that we receive because of Adam's sin in the Garden. And really, if you want to put the second point to that, is the imputed sin... Guilt that you get from breaking the law. Because now you know the law reflects God, it's holy, and you break it. It declares you guilty of breaking the law. The penalty 
is physical death. If anyone lives a life free from sin, they wouldn't die. If they weren't related to Adam, they wouldn't die. If they didn't commit acts of sin, they wouldn't die. But they do have death. And it proves their sin. The remedy is Jesus Christ's obedience is imputed to others, to you who believe in Jesus Christ. Transmission, Adam's guilt is imputed to all his descendants, even though they did not personally sin when he did in the garden. And when the law came, you got more guilt. So, you can say you don't sin, but you have a sin nature. And you have sin imputed to you, guilt to you, by both being related and being related to the law. So you have three layers now of sin. One is bad enough to send you to the lake of fire for your entire eternity. But all three is overwhelming. Wait, there's one more layer. You ready? Are you ready? Are you awake? Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Verse 9. Verse 9 is summarizing the, the debate that Paul's been having about being Jewish or Gentile and how sin affects you if you're Jewish or Gentile or what we might say religious or non-religious. Verse 9. <clears throat> what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. You're under sin. This is what we call universal sin. You are under sin. Because you are a human being. With a sin nature, committing acts of sin, and having guilt imputed to you. You are under the universal sin that is true of all people. Put it this way, universal sin is that all people are under the power of sin. All people are under the power of sin. If, if you had any way of being perfect for 10 seconds... You have the 11th second to come. And you will still sin. Because you have that sin nature. You do those sinful acts. And you have the guilt imputed to you of sin. Here, you're under the power of sin. The penalty is the sinner is declared lost. Lost. And I mean that in the broadest sense of the word. You are lost. When you're under sin. That, and the relationship you want to be not lost in is the one with God. But if you're under sin, you are lost. The remedy is to be under grace. Be under grace. You're under one or the other. You're either under sin or under grace. No middle ground. No third choice. You're under grace, 
because of the death of Jesus Christ and you accepting it by faith and repenting of your sins, you are under sin because you do individual acts of sin, because you're related to Adam and you have a sin nature, because third, <laughs> you have imputed guilt from disobeying the law and being obedient to Adam's nature, and then universal sin. You cannot have a non-believer do anything righteous. You can't do it because that person is under sin and he is lost in the relationship of righteousness. So there's no way he can do anything that's righteous or holy or good. He is bound to be under the sin of the power of sin. Transmission? Well, there's none. You're just under sin. You're born that way. Isaiah says you're unclean as filthy rags. Jeremiah says you're deceitful and desperately wicked. Ephesians chapter 2 says you're children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 4 says you're alienated from the life of God. Colossians chapter 2 says you're dead in your sins and trespasses. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. There was a, another young man who wrote a paper about Christians who can't argue and support their belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, this man was a homosexual, and he wrote an essay about uh, Jesus Christ. And to summarize his article, he basically comes to the conclusion that Jesus Christ wasn't in support of homosexuality, which is true. But he made the conclusion then that Jesus Christ was wrong in his opinion about homosexuality. That Jesus, quote-unquote, in my terms, sinned in his view of homosexuality. He says, the only reason that Jesus Christ is wrong is because of the sin that the man was enjoying. The power of sin took him control of that man, so much so that his view on ethics and everything that was right and wrong changed, and therefore he had to determine that Jesus Christ was wrong. Sin is a very interesting thing. Now we're going to look in the book of Romans about sin. There are nine words we're going to look at, nine different Greek words that we're going to look at that are translated uh, usually consistently throughout the book of Romans using the same term, usually. So the first one we need to look at is in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. We're going to look at 20 and 21. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, in, so that as sin re reigned in death, 
Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. First sin is the most common word for sin. And it's interesting, these nine words are going to be divided into three categories. Three categories. The first category is going to be sin uh, that's defiance of holiness. Sin's defiance of holiness. Or you might want to say sin's defiance of God. Sin's defiance of holiness. And under that category, we have the first one. Now, this is going to get you, this is, going to, this is why you get paid the big bucks. The first one is sin. Sin. Harmartia. Sin. It is a word that's the most common word in the New Testament for sin. It occurs over and over in the book of Romans. It occurs 48 times in the book of Romans. And it's usually translated every time as sin. Sin is missing the mark. Missing the mark. To miss the mark. To miss the mark. It is in reference not to Adam's sin, but to personal sins that each person does. Reference here is to each person's actions of disobedience. The problem is sin, not sinful deeds, but sin, the state of sin. The law is not able to bind or bound or defeat sin. It only shows us how sin is more powerful. Sin is sin. And it increases. And it increases and it increases. Nothing can stop the increase of sin but grace. And if you don't have grace in your life, sin is the number one power in your life. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. We're going to be going quickly. Romans 5, verse 17. Verse 17. For if by the transgression... Of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Defiance to holiness. Again, this is another sin that defies what is holy. It's translated transgression. Transgression. Paratoma. Paratoma. To trespass. Number two to trespass. It occurs nine times in the book of Romans. Six times it occurs in Romans chapter 5. It refers to individual acts of transgression, usually against God. It means to fall away from, and in the context of Romans, to fall away from God. The sin of Adam is a transgression where he fell away from God. As a result of Adam's sin, death reigns over all people. Paul here is emphasizing the one transgression that brought death to all. And then the gift of righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 23. 
Romans chapter 2, verse 23. You who boast in the law, though through your breaking the law, do dishonor God. This is talking to the Jewish believers who live by the law. And they're living by the law. They break the law. And by breaking the law, they dishonor God. The word here is breaking. Parabasis. Parabasis. Breaking the law means to step over a boundary, to cross a line, to go where you shouldn't go. You break that line. It means it's to understand the transgression of a divine command. God gives you a command, he draws the line in the sand, and you cross that line. The problem for the Jewish people, or for religious people, is to disagree, the disagreement between their verbal profession and their physical practice. The Jews would say they love the law, but then would break the law. The law only brings divine wrath when you disobey it. Paul concludes the Jews do the very thing the ungodly do. They dishonor God with their life. All, of four of, all three of these talk about the, the defiance of the holiness of God. Now we need to move to the next category, next category where sin is defiance to God's law. God's law. Turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Number four, this is ungodliness. Ungodliness. Ungodliness is to act in opposition. To act in opposition. This Greek word, asabea, occurs two times in the book of Romans. It literally means, you know, you know how uh, uh, Old Testament, very popular about fearing God, right? You remember all those? Uh, being in awe of God or being having a reverence for God. This word, this Greek word, means not to have reverence. Not to have fear of God. Not to respect God, who He is. And and when you do that, you're participating in ungodliness. Ungodliness. It's not being in awe of God. Ungodliness against the laws, and many times they associate this breaking of the law against the first four commands of the Ten Commandments. They say the first four commandments, if you break those first four commandments, you're being ungodly. You're not reverencing God. You're not having the awe of God. And then, of course, in our verse, it talks about unrighteousness. See that? And the unrighteousness seems to be the second table of the Ten Commandments, the last six. So it seems like ungodliness and unrighteousness takes all the sin in the world. So, ungodliness and unrighteousness comprehends all evil doing. Ungodlinesses refuse the adoration and thanksgiving that you should have towards God. Turn to Romans chapter 6. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. The second one is also talking about breaking the law. It has to do with the law, sin against the law, defiance of the law. Verse 13, and do not go on presenting the members of your body as to, ins- to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The first part of the verse is talking about unrighteousness. This is number five, key word for sin. Unrighteousness is to act unfairly, to act unjustly. Literally to do wrong and to do damage to someone else. Unrighteousness embraces all the moral, breaking all the moral commands. Again, which we were saying was maybe the last six of the Ten Commandments. Breaking relationship with other people. Being unrighteous to them. Uh, It's a violation of righteousness, actually. Uh, breaching his will that's been revealed by God, breaking God's revealed will. Since to do wrong usually brings damage to somebody, you and others, unrighteousness here is a good word to cover that area of sin. Paul, Paul wrote that unrighteousness conduct withholds honor from God as the creator. Drop down to verse 19, Romans chapter 6, verse 19. Verse 19, again, another aspect of sin that is related to the law and breaking the law. Verse 19, and I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so that now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. The, law, the key word here for sin is lawlessness. Number six, lawlessness, to act in contempt, to act lawlessly. In other words, you take the law of God and you do the opposite. Lawless. And a nomen. Curse three times in the book of Romans. It's, it's the word that's most popular to translate the word sin in the Old Testament in Hebrew. In the Hebrew Bible, whenever sin occurs, there were like 20, 20, 20, 20 terms of sin in the Old Testament Hebrew words that when they translated into the Greek New Testament, they used this word for all of them. Okay? So sin in the Old Testament was lawlessness. Going against Moses' law, against God's law, against the holy law. And it's the way the New Testament talks about your lawless conduct that produces the habit or state of lawlessness. Notice how it repeats, to lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness. So when you're lawless and you're in the habit of breaking God's law, you become in a state of lawlessness. which is rebellion against God. And for us, we're not supposed to be a slave to lawlessness, 
but a slave to righteousness. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Here we have our seventh description of sin. Again, defiance talking about relationship to God's law. Verse 19, 519. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Defiance to God's law. Number seven, disobedience. Disobedience. To act in non-compliance. Not to go along with what God says. Not to go along with the law is to disobey it. Parkuo. Parkuo occurs one time in the book of Romans. Literally failure to listen. Failure to listen to God. It involves a personal action of rebellion against what God says. God says jump and you sit. You take a personal action to disobey. And here, I like it, verse 19 is talking about how through one man's, Adam, sin, you're made a sinner. And through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, many are made righteous. I like that. The the imputed sin of Adam makes you one group. And then with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you're one group. And that group aspect of imputation is excellent for us. Yes, it gives us the sin from Adam, but it also gives us the righteousness from Jesus Christ and saves us. So, we are imputed righteousness because we are imputed sinfulness. And we need the righteousness. And that takes away all works. It's all grace. Everybody with me? All grace. In other words, there's nothing we can do to be unrelated to Adam. Okay? You cannot sit here and go, um, I'm not a grandson of Adam. That didn't do anything. You can't do anything to break your connection to Adam. Because your connection to Adam, you have a sin nature and you sin. (laughs) Then Jesus comes along and does all the work of obedience. And all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ and you're saved from all four covers of sin. The only thing powerful enough to break all four covers of sin is the work of Jesus Christ. And all you got to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and you will be saved from the power of sin. Amazing. Amazing. Seven. Disobedience, the act of non-compliance. Here we go. Now we come to our third category. Sin as defiance to morals. So we have the holiness of God. And sins against that. We got the law of God and sins against that. And now we got the morals of God and the sins against that. And I'm sorry. I don't like using these terms. But I have to. They're in Romans. Chapter 1, verse 29. Romans chapter 1, verse 29. Okay, I want you to see it. So turn there. So you don't blame me for calling you a bad name. Okay? 
Here you go. Romans chapter 1, verse 29. And being filled with all, and all means all, you're filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness. The word there is wickedness. You are wicked because of the sin that's in your life. Number eight, wickedness. It means to have a heart deprived, depraved. When you are, because your heart is crooked, you are wicked. Now that's an evil word. If, if, if I was in an argument with you and I want to really insult you, I'd call you wicked. But that is what your heart is when it's controlled by sin. When you do acts that are sinful, when you have a sin nature, when you are connected to the guilt of the law and Adam, when you are connected and under the power of sin, you are wicked. And the only way to be non-wicked is to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are wicked. Pornia, this is where it only occurs one time in the book of Romans. Wickedness denotes the bad instinct of your heart. The wickedness of your human heart. How your heart always thinks wicked. This term is actually in ethical, moral passages of Scripture. When we're talking about ethics, it comes up with this word, wickedness. When it's talking about ethics, what you do. It may be the opposite of sincere. You're wicked. The end of the verse. Same verse, 129. Well, actually the middle. It goes on, greed and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and their gossips. The word that is wicked is the word that's evil. Evil. When you are under the power of sin, when you're under the four covers of sin, you are wicked and you are evil. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But you are evil. This word means to have a heart that is dark. Evil, to have a heart that is dark. I had a hard time with the word dark, but this is what I came up with, dark. You are evil heart without light. You're dark. Kea, this occurs one time in the book of Romans. It means badness in quality and morals. Badness. You are morally bad. You're morally evil. You're deliberately evil, which takes measure and pleasure in doing harm. You're evil. These nine words are found throughout the book of Romans. Over and over and over again. It's there because of the four covers that you are under because of sin. Those four covers make you sinful and make your heart wicked. And make your heart evil. And it doesn't matter if you think you do no bad things. You're still wicked and evil. Sorry. That's insulting. But you are. And you need the only solution there is in this world. Jesus Christ. Because you're doomed without Him. Practical application. Will I understand the seriousness of the offense of my sin has on a holy and perfect God so that I can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, defeat temptation 
and find the way of escape that God provides for his children. God did not send Jesus Christ to overcome individuals, but he came to take the power of sin and to conquer death. Life is the gift that comes from God through Jesus Christ. The fruit of my own self-discovery, of thinking how good I am or trying to get better, doesn't help because I'm still sinful and wicked and evil in my heart. Without Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's work, you're doomed to an eternity in a lake of fire. There's a lady. Where was she? St. Louis. Lady in St. Louis. She came home. Well, actually, she, wasn't, she was out of work. She was out of work, and she was in her living room, and she had a two-story house. She went upstairs one afternoon and found a bee flying around. She didn't kill it. It just kept flying around. She didn't care. She went back downstairs. Months later, the roof to her second floor caved in because the bees got worse. And one bee led to another bee, to another bee, to another bee. And it built up in the attic a huge, huge beehive. So heavy that it collapsed the roof of the second story. She couldn't even get the house fixed. Had to be condemned. She had a beehive growing above her. And all she did was let it have its way. She didn't kill that first bee. She didn't kill the second bee. She didn't kill the fifth bee. She didn't call, kill the 30,000th bee. She didn't kill any bees. And she was home all day and probably was hearing them all day long. Didn't do anything about it. She heard the hissing of the bees and did nothing. How stupid is that? Can I say stupid? I just, just did, huh? You know, if you have a sin problem and you do nothing about that quote-unquote little sin, that little sin grows up to a bigger sin, and it grows up to a bigger sin, and grows up to a bigger sin until it collapses your life. And you stand before a holy God at a great white throne judgment and you haven't done anything about the problem. That's not wise. You have a problem with sin. The only solution is what's represented by this table. The body and blood of Jesus Christ. Don't Play with sin. Now, if you're a believer and you play with sin, uh, you're going to feel the love and discipline of admonishment from your believing friends at church. And then eventually you'll feel it from the elders at your church. And eventually, if you just say, hang in your ear, take a long walk, you'll end up getting a short life from God and God will take you home. You do not want to play with sin. Sin is not 
righteousness. Don't play with it. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, you would help us in our daily battle with sin. I pray, Father, that we'd have huge battles with little sins. That we would fight, that we would pray, that we would ask for the Holy Spirit's power to defeat every little sin in our life. I pray, Father, that those sins that keep coming back as a habit, that we would fight those and fight those and fight those, that we'd ask our Christian friends to help us fight, help us to pray, help us to deal with those sins, that we get some help, Father, from the elders of the church. We need to win this battle with sin, which can only be done, of course, with, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you that if we're a, a believer in Jesus Christ, that we, the power of sin does not reign over us anymore. Father, help us because we still have that sin nature and we'll have it until you call us home. But Father, help us in that struggle with sin. Help us, Father, to seek forgiveness. Help us, Father, to go to those people that we've hurt by our sin and ask for forgiveness. I pray, Father, that we would love one another enough to forgive them because we all battle with sin. I pray, Father, you would be with us. Help us as a church to be holy and to love you and hold our reverence for you as a priority in our life. Thank you, Father, for this uh, word that is important to us because of the hurt it can do. Help us to stay free from sin, Father, this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.